Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray, it's Friday the 9th of September. This week we're going to look into a recent malware teardown done by AT&T Alien Labs around this uh, Shikitaga malware and we'll get into that in a bit because first we're going to do the usual roundup of security fixes that have gone into the supported Ubuntu releases over the past week. This week, there were 13 unique CVEs that were addressed, a bit of a quieter week. And up first was uh, some updates for the kernel. So thanks as always to the kernel team for putting these together. Uh, This week, I've tried to group these together to, I guess, minimize the amount that I go into the same vulnerabilities again and again. So we had updates for uh, kernels in Ubuntu 14.04 Extended Security Maintenance, 16.04 Extended Security Maintenance, and 18.04 Long-Term Support for a single vulnerability that I actually mentioned back in last week's episode, uh, which is an out-of-bounds write in the virtual terminal driver, which could occur when changing VDA console fonts. And we had an update as well for kernels in Ubuntu 18.04 long-term support, 20.04 long-term support, and 22.04 long-term support, including for some of our uh, OEM platforms. Uh, in this case, again, that included the out-of-bounds write in the virtual terminal driver, as well as improper control flow management in the Intel 10 gigabit Ethernet PCIe Express driver. Uh, that could then be used by a local user to trigger a denial of service. Uh, we had an update for the kernel in Ubuntu 20 of long-term support, 22 of long-term support for nine different CVEs here. And actually, I talked about these last week, I reckon. But uh, this included uh, those two that I just mentioned before, plus a null pointer to your reference in uh, the KVM subsystem on the host that could be triggered via a guest VM if it tried to execute an illegal CPU instruction. Uh, there was also an out-of-bounds write in the UDF file system driver, a use after free in NTFS under certain error conditions, an out-of-bounds write in the Intel SM bus host controller driver, as well as a race condition in the handling of pipe buffers that could be used by a local user to trigger uh, an out-of-bounds write and therefore possibly get code execution and privilege escalation as a result. Curl was updated after that for a single CVE, and this is for curl releases going all the way back to uh, 1404 Extended Security Maintenance plus 1604 Extended Security Maintenance, 1804, 2004, and 2 long-term support releases. Uh, single CVE here. Uh, we prioritize this as low, but you know, we do like to get our curl updates out pretty quickly, so this one still uh, was done nonetheless. In this case, it's around the handling of cookies. So you're probably aware uh, cookies are name value pairs that can be uh, sent via website. They get stored via the web client and then sent back. They often get used for storing things like login tokens and the like. Um, and so uh, cookies can uh, usually encoded uh, just as ASCII and they contain the usual, you know, ASCII contains the usual set of characters A to Z, uh, upper and lowercase, digit zero to nine, uh, punctuation, you know, space and uh, exclamation mark and quotes and all, all those sort of standard keys you get on your uh, US keyboard. Um, but they also contain a bunch of different control characters as well. Things like uh, the zero value as a byte is null. Uh, there's a bell character, you know, to ring the bell in your terminal <laughs> or a line feed carriage return, uh, horizontal tab, so usually normal tab and all the rest of them. And those, uh, they have values of uh, within a byte of below 32 printable ones. They come after that. And uh, normally when cookies, you would reject those sorts of uh, characters because, you know, they're not really uh, encoding any real information. And since version 4.9, curl actually was accepting cookies with control codes. As a result, uh, as I said, you know, cookies get sent to you by a server and then uh, you send them back. What that means is that over time, though, web servers have started to get more strict on uh, the cookies that they accept or not. And so they'll start rejecting cookies that have these control codes in them with a uh, 400 response code, which is a bad request. 
Uh, as a result though, so say a malicious uh, curl dub assister site uh, could send you a cookie uh, with a control code inside it, curl would store that. Then when you go to access another site within the same domain, you would send back that cookie. Uh, that site may then reject it and therefore uh, block you from accessing it. If it turns a 400, it doesn't return a 200, so you don't get any uh, content as a result. So it really means that one sort of subdomain could block others from being used by users. That has now been fixed for curl to have that actually just validate cookies that they don't contain control codes and if they do to reject them in the first place. And the last update for the week was one for Z standard in Ubuntu 16.04 extended security maintenance, uh, CVE from back in 2019. And actually, I talked about this all the way back uh, then in episode 44. You can go listen back to that if you want, but I thought given that was so long ago, I would cover it again. In this case, it was a race condition when using a single pass compression in Z standard. So Z standard is a new compression library. Uh, well, I guess it's new-ish, but <laughs> new came out of Facebook as far as I recall. Um, and so a race condition when using single pass compression that then might allow an attacker to get an out-of-bounds right if the caller had provided a... Uh, uh, buffer that was smaller than the recommended size. What that means, I guess, is that you know if your applications are using the recommended size, uh, then they would be fine. But if they weren't, they could possibly get this uh, buffer overflow as a result. Uh, there are lots of different packages that use Z standard, so not necessarily all of them are affected. But the idea of putting this fix into Z standard itself means that then you know anyone that was using it potentially in this unsafe way is now protected. Oh, and that is it for the week in security updates. Okay, so the other thing that I wanted to cover this week was a malware teardown that I saw from AT&T Alien Labs of this new Shikitega uh, malware. Uh, I've got a link in the show notes if you want to go and read more about it from uh, AT&T Labs themselves. Uh, but they describe this as uh, malware that targets endpoints and IoT devices that are running Linux. Uh, so obviously the kind of thing that uh, the Ubuntu security team, we are interested in this kind of stuff. Uh, it talks about how it uses multiple different binaries to achieve its purpose and each one does one small part of the process so clearly uh, the malware authors have learnt from the unix philosophy of having lots of small tools and coupling them together to achieve your purpose uh, i think actually the other part of that though too is it means it's probably easier to i guess repurpose those you can uh, combine different uh, pieces together for other say uh, you know pieces of malware uh one thing i really found interesting about this actually is it talks about how it uses various components of the metasploit framework along the way so if you're not uh, familiar you probably have heard of metasploit but if you haven't it's a framework that contains various different exploits for various vulnerabilities plus a different tools to kind of help you put them together in different ways uh, to kind of scan your environment to kind of figure out what you might need and that kind of thing as well so really useful uh, for red teams and the like but obviously also useful for malware authors so uh, they then start tearing this thing down into its separate components so the initial dropper is a small binary that's encoded using one of the standard metasploit encoders and that helps obviously uh, it to evade detection from uh, you know boring standard AV scanners and the like uh, that then goes and decodes itself uh, revealing uh, some basic shell code that opens a socket back uh, to the command and control server. It then goes and downloads additional shellcode to run. What that means is it keeps this uh, initial binary really small. It only has to ship a very small amount of code inside itself and then it gets further code or you know, commands from the com uh, command and control server. Uh, so it downloads that shellcode plus it downloads uh, Metasploit's metal interpreter. Uh, that then means it can make use of off-the-shelf components from Metasploit in its further stages. So it can just execute those directly. Uh, it then goes and downloads the next stage of the dropper as well. Uh, this next stage is again encoded, uh, so it decodes that. 
Uh, that then again reveals some shell code that spawns a shell, uh, Binsha. And from this shell, it then goes and tries to run a bunch of standard uh, shell commands to try to exploit a couple known privilege escalation vulnerabilities in Linux. Uh, the first of these uh, we actually covered back in episode 147, which is one against Policy Kit. And the second one is a kernel vulnerability uh, that I talked about back in episode 113. As you can probably tell, both of these have been patched a long time ago for Ubuntu. So it's interesting, I guess, to see that it is still trying to exploit vulnerabilities that uh, have been fixed for quite a while now on all the popular Linux distributions. So really, they're looking at uh, machines that aren't being updated. Um, anyway, uh, once it has gained the root privileges by trying to make uh, use of either of those vulnerabilities, it then goes on to achieve persistence and executes its primary payload, which uh, I guess not surprisingly is a crypto miner. Whoop whoop. Um, so persistence is achieved in this case by using cron to download the crypto miner uh, from the command control server on each boot. Uh, and then it sets up another cron job to execute the crypto miner. Uh, that is done for both the standard user that it originally, I guess, was using to compromise the machine plus uh, the root user as well. So you get uh, you know, two jobs of this crypto miner running. As a result, uh, because each time it re-downloads this crypto miner, the only traces left on the machine is the uh, traces in your cron tabs itself. Uh, interestingly, the crypto miner is uh, the standard XM rig crypto miner, and that's configured to then mine Monero, obviously then you know with the right convicts to ship that off to the malware authors. Uh, the C2, they've got some details on that as well. The C2 is fronted by Cloudflare and CloudFront. Uh, no details are provided, however, on the initial compromise, uh, which is a bit sad because you know that's where I guess uh, really interests me. Because obviously, if you can stop yourself being compromised in that first place, you're protected against these kind of attacks. Obviously, but in this case, once someone has code execution, in this case, then they're uh, taking advantage of these known vulnerabilities to get privilege escalation. Uh, like I mentioned, both of those were patched in Ubuntu quite a while ago, and even for that kernel privilege escalation vulnerability, uh, we actually released a live patch for that one as well. So that really shows the value in services such as LivePatch, you can still stay protected against the kind of vulnerabilities that people are exploiting out there uh, without even needing to reboot. And I guess what I, this also shows to me really the fact that AT&T even published this is that uh, the increasing prevalence of Linux malware uh, at the start of this report, they actually talk about how it has uh, risen significantly in recent years. Um, but I guess the fact is that uh, companies like AT&T taking an interest in it and publishing this stuff shows, yeah, it is increasing as well. But it also shows the value, like I said, in keeping your systems updated, whether you're running live patch to get that kernel uh, patch automatically, uh, or at least if you're running unattended upgrades, you will be getting these updates installed uh, automatically. Things like Policy Kit would have already been patched, wouldn't have been able to take advantage of that one. And obviously, if you're uh, not running Live Patch, but you are you know, re rebooting your uh, servers on reasonably regular time schedules to make sure that you're booting into those latest kernels, you are protected as well against the kernel vulnerabilities too. So yeah, a cool teardown there from AT&T Alien Labs. Uh, the other thing that I had talked about uh, last week that we we're going to talk about this week was the systemd and OpenVM tools regression for Ubuntu 18 for long-term support. Uh, so yeah, I had mentioned that we would talk about this that this week, but uh, that is actually still a work in progress. Uh, the final fixes for that haven't been released, so I don't want to, uh, I guess, talk about something that may not be exactly what ends up going out. So yeah, we will hopefully cover that one next week, and I hope to bring in uh, you know, other members of the Ubuntu security team plus members of our custom support team as well because they've been highly uh, involved in that too. So yeah, we'll bring you hopefully a good, nice, deep dive into that one. 
Cool. And the other thing I wanted to cover this week is uh, some open positions in the team. Haven't done this for a while, so I thought it was uh, good to have a quick look at that. Uh, I've got a link in the show notes to all the open positions that are security related at Canonical. In particular, at the moment, that includes a security certifications product manager. So if you're interested in things like FIPS and uh, Disastig and the rest of that, and making sure that Ubuntu is compliant uh, for all those sorts of markets and products, uh, you know, I welcome you to check that out and apply for that. That is a home-based position uh, anywhere in EMEA. Uh, we also then have a couple home-based positions anywhere in the world. If you want to be an Ubuntu security engineer, I've got a link to that one, plus an Ubuntu security manager. So if you want to come and manage us security engineers, yeah, we would love to have you on our team. All right, so that takes us to the end of this week's episode. If you want to get in contact with the team as usual, you can email us at securityubuntu.com. Plus, we hang out in the Ubuntu security channel on lapera.chat and we are on Twitter at Ubuntu underscore sec as well. So thanks everyone for listening again for another week. I will be back again with you all next week. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.